Hey guys, Chris here, and I wanted to give you guys a quick heads up on this episode before we get into it. So, uh, in case you weren't there for our recording, we ran into a ton of technical difficulties trying to get this episode actually going. Uh, I had changed my audio setup slightly, uh, something I didn't think would be an issue, but for whatever reason, it would not work with Google Hangouts. Um, we were trying to get it working for the better part of an hour. I, I was spending time troubleshooting it, reinstalling drivers, reinstalling software, uh, trying to do everything I could to make it so we could get our episode out, and uh, was to no avail. I could not find a solution. Uh, I was about ready to just call it in, uh, but Nick suggested we try a few other things, and eventually we found that Discord worked. It did not have an issue. However, Discord has no video feature, so we couldn't record with our cameras on. So rather than put a static image on YouTube, uh, I decided that we'll just be releasing this episode through the audio format right now. Um, it's not an episode I'm particularly proud of because unfortunately, while we were able to get recording, uh, I was not in a very good mood. I allowed uh, the frustration not being able to get the equipment working to kind of carry into the episode, um, which is uh, a fault of mine that I apologize for, not just to our listeners, but also to Nick, um, who uh, was very kind to to help try to push us through this regardless. But in the end, essentially, this episode ran into a lot of difficulties. Um, Twitch was down during this, so the, the recording on there couldn't get done because there was no way to actually stream to it. Uh, we also had an issue where my internet went out about halfway through the podcast, so I had to sign back in. I tried to edit it in to cover it up, but you might still notice it. Again, apologies. God really just did not want this episode to happen, I think. Um, but, like the uh, brave heretics we are, Nick and I continued. We recorded and uh, we finished an episode. Now, whether or not this is going to be an episode that will be regarded as one of the best of all time, I don't know. That's for you guys, I guess, to decide. But uh, I apologize if this episode is not the normal laugh-a-minute kind of episode you're used to, but hopefully you can still find something to enjoy in this, um, and uh, we will try to make sure that this sort of audio snafu and technical problems and everything else like that is handled before next week's episode. So once again, everybody, apologies. I hope you still enjoy the episode, and I will send you into the episode, I guess, right? Yeah, that seems like the right way to do it. Enjoy! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Weekly Mont Greek Cap here on August the 30th of 2017. I'm Nick, this is Chris, and we have spent the last hour or so trying to get this shit done. But we're here now. Let's talk about manga. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. You'll feel better once we actually start, I promise, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a shot, yeah. Uh, I, I think that we're, that we, we already went on a tangent for today. <laughs> a very, very, arduous, painful tangent, so I think that we should just start talking about manga, dude. Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay. We're going to start things off. So we kick off the recap portion of Weekly Manga Recap with My Hero Academia. It's chapter number 150, Mirio Tagata. It's all about Mirio Tagata. Who could have seen that coming? So, <clears throat> uh, as we saw at the end of the last chapter, Mirio has managed to catch up with Overhaul. And, uh, he's staring him down along with, uh, some dude in a hoodie whose name I don't remember if it was ever stated. Anyway. Uh, 
he is ready to take action. Uh, but Overhaul starts to mock him by pointing out that, oh yeah, you know, the last time that we ran into each other, you turned a blind eye to the situation. It's not like this girl is hoping to be saved by you. To her, you're no hero. Uh, undeterred, uh, Mirio tries to rush forward, but all of a sudden he staggers and stumbles into the wall, uh, as, uh, another member of the Eight Bullets, Deidoro Sakaki, uh, is hanging from the rafters above and is, uh, drinking drinking some pretty heavy sake. And uh, basically, he seems to be given Mirio vertigo with his quirk. And then we get another guy uh, shooting gun. Uh, his name is Shin Nemoto. And uh, when he shoots his gun at Mirio, of course, he uses his ability to turn intangible, so the bullet just whizzes right past him. And uh, he's so... Shin says, what kind of quirk is that? And immediately Mirio starts to explain it. Just the same as we saw with uh, uh, Toga and Twice in the previous chapter where they just unwittingly just revealed stuff about them when asked. Mm-hmm. Which does seem to imply that uh, the question that Overhaul had about uh, them being betrayed, there might have been some weird way that they had of getting around that, as uh, people were suggesting. Uh, the guy, Nimoto explains that his ability, uh, we get, or rather, uh, Mirio remembers, I guess, a briefing about Nimoto, which is that anyone questioned by him is forced to answer truthfully. He was a con man before being recruited by the Hasukai. Uh, yeah. Or maybe that's a narration, whatever. It doesn't matter. That's his ability. Confession. People tell the truth to him. Yes. Yeah. Tells his own They're truth. They're trying to base like, they're trying to play psychological warfare with with Mirio, uh, trying to play off of his insecurities, uh, his inability to save Aerie, the fact that uh, the only the real reason he's trying to do this is not actually to save Aerie, but to make himself feel better by succeeding. And uh, so this is Nimoto's tactic uh, in conjunction with Sakaki's ability to make people lose equilibrium, to take their confidence away. So... Uh, they try and finish off Mirio, but he uses what he refers to as his ultimate move, Phantom Menace, which I don't know. If it, it, yeah. I, I wouldn't I, take much pride in that. <laughs> I have to wonder if it's an intentional decision to call it that, like if it's directly meant to be a you reference can't, to, but... You can't, like, if you're translating that at the very least, you can't name it that and not <laughs> know what it is. Yeah. Uh, he basically uh, just uses his ability, rebounds off of the walls a whole bunch, uh, using his quirk and, uh, knocks the two of them out. And, uh, he basically straight up confesses that, uh, yeah, he's suffering from all these insecurities. And there's a narration that says that he has just always accepted his own weaknesses. And in fact, accepting them is exactly what spurs him on. Just like one spirit, weaknesses are not things to be hidden. Uh, and took out those, you know, things to himself after he's finished them off. You know, there's you know, this, this sensation of feeling, you know, drunk. It's not even new to me. And it's a given that I'm weak, but I'm not one to be shaken from all of this. As long as that girl can't smile, then I can't let this go. And, uh, he springs past to the defeated foes, rushes towards overhaul and, uh, his immediate subordinate. And, uh, does a pretty cool move where he phases his foot through Aerie's head in order to kick the guy holding her. And, uh, catches her as she falls. Aerie says that 
you know, you've got to run away from him because he's going to kill you. But Miriam just says, don't worry, I'll be your hero. Academy, yeah. Big, big heroic moment for Mirio and a, and a cool uh, way of just him getting to show off what he can do. We saw, of course, uh, Sun Eater take out three guys before, but he had to really, really struggle in order to do it. And Mirio seems to really should be showing off what he's capable of doing. I really hope he doesn't just die in the next chapter. Uh, well, I, I guess it's fair to say that like one of the dudes there doesn't seem to be much of a combatant. So mm-hmm. I guess is that. Um, I, I'd I'm not a huge fan of this chapter. I really have trouble telling what Birio's special attack is, uh, since they changed the actual perspective of it as it's happening. So it's tough to really tell where he is or where he went during it or anything like that. Um, I think he's using his ability to uh, bloop himself when you know he phases solid while he's occupying the same space as something else to be bouncing around. I guess it's it. It's something that probably will look amazing in animation, but in still <laughs> form, I just I can't tell what's happening. Um, and, and to be frank, I, look, I'm also in a bitter, shitty mood right now, so that probably plays into this. And, uh, <laughs> I, I just I read this chapter. It's like I just like I like Mirio, but I don't know enough about him to care so much during this chapter. Um, like the the aspect of them trying to taunt him by saying you don't actually care about air, you just care about you know accomplishing this for yourself. It uh, doesn't have much weight when I really don't know much of the, the full context of what defines Mirio. I, I know parts of him, um, but I, I don't know. It just didn't feel too effective for me right now. It might just be that we've we've gone on like a train of different sort of side fights and things like that, that most mm. of which have been involving more kind of significant characters to the reader because we've known them a little bit longer. Um but I don't know. This chapter just didn't really do anything for me. It's not that it's bad per se. I should I should retract that. It's not a bad chapter. I just I didn't quite get a whole lot out of this one. I can understand that also because also the fights that we've seen to this point uh, in terms of doing character developments in in the middle of the action. Uh, in addition to some of the main characters we're more familiar with, they were deeper explorations. We had longer flashbacks and more time dedicated to explaining what was going through their heads and how they've gotten to this point in their lives. Whereas with Mirio, it's more focused on the action itself and more, I guess, just an indication that this is the kind of uh, thing that his opponents are trying to do, trying to play psychological warfare with him and then saying, but it didn't work because, you know, he's a pretty self-realized person at this point in his life. So, yeah, I, it's probably a fine chapter. Uh, I'm, I'm in a, a sour mood at the moment, so that's affecting <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's. I'm sure it's fine. Ignore me. <laughs> Let's move on to Astro Lost in Space. Last time we got more discussion of what was going on with uh, uh, Lena's Earth versus the kids Astra. Um, the conclusion that everyone draws uh, when after the whole talk about wormholes at the end of the last chapter is that everyone was moved from Earth to Astra and repopulated and reestablished their society there. Uh, in particular, Paulina you know, mentions like the scientist who was responsible in 2045 for uh, being able to figure out how they worked. Uh, but Char says, hey, there's no technology like that that exists in our world, and there was never this asteroid that was coming towards Earth, so how the hell did this happen? And uh, then they ask, oh, and how did the planetary exodus uh, go anyway? 
And so, of course, Miley says, well, we only had a few years to set everything up, so we set things off right away. We sent all of these dozens of unmanned exploration satellites into space, and then there were manned missions beginning in 2051 uh, with the ARC series of ships. And I think this one is actually the last unused ship, the ARC-12. I was assigned to the ARC-6. I joined my crew, and we headed for our candidate world. I've already told you what happened next. We crash-landed, and the crew was killed, and I went to cryosleep. Uh but of course, this leads to a problem of, well, Paulina doesn't really know exactly what happened after that. They conclude that, okay, the, they must have migrated to Astra then, and you guys are the descendants of the Earth who evacuated there. And, uh, the big wham is the fact that they realize, oh, hey, that ship that we were teleport, that planet we were teleported to at the start of the series, that was Earth after the meteor hit it. It froze over because the meteor hit it, and uh, it was uh, frozen after, as a result of everything. Plunged it into a new ice age. So that's the big reveal in this chapter, is this entire time everyone's been journeying from Earth to Astra when we thought that everyone was trying to go to Earth. So now, after, over the course of the last couple of, of uh, chapters, we have that whole explanation. Uh there is a thing that kind of gets discussed, and I'll just kind of like, I guess, start the discussion on it here, which is a bit of a timing difference that they kind of hint to, but don't really do have the ability to make any sort of conclusion on, which is that this all, all this stuff supposedly happened like 15 years ago, but, you know, all of human society exists on Astra. Uh, so... It would seem to indicate that in addition to all of the other stuff that they're covering, that uh, the adults are covering up and preventing the kids from knowing that I, you would, I would think that there's a little bit more time that's passed than like 15 years. I don't know if you got that impression. Uh, I mean, I'm still trying to fully grasp everything that's meant to be kind of implied through this. Like, so the notions that there isn't per se, like, an alternate reality, that it's just sort of like a time discrepancy that's causing the confusion between mm -hmm. them. Um, well, Zach even flat out says, hey, there's an inconsistency here. Right now it's the year 2063. If the exodus was completed in the year of the impact in 2057, that would mean that only six years have passed. So that's crazy. Yeah. Uh I don't know, it's probably something that I'd have to read a couple more times to fully digest it, because I, I, I don't know if I fully grasped everything that, that's meant to be implied in this. Because I'm like, well, if they're still clones, who's, you know, what are they trying to do with their bodies? Or like, well, what's, what's, what's happening here at this point? Well, Kanata even points out, like, hey, you know, can you believe that no one, none of us ever heard that we were from a, that our race started off in a different planet and we came here? And that all happened so recently. Um, and Polly is like, is it possible at all that there could really be a conspiracy this massive, this many people preventing so many other people from knowing about it? And Olgar steps in and is like, no, no, my brother told me once, the adults are lying to us. I get this real, like, codename kids next door feel from this chapter, honestly. All the adults are in on the conspiracy, you can't trust them. Every every week's a new Codename Kids Next Door chapter to you. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a good show. You shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, I just didn't watch children's shows at that point. <laughs> As it's like a clear image of me watching, like, fucking 
non-stop like Rugrats and Spongebob reruns. <laughs> I'm just like, I oh, Angelica, that, that bitch. Uh, it's okay, it's fine now, because Spongebob's the series that gets all the memes on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a good show. Or what, it's I, def- I definitely actually appreciate it more now as an adult than I did back then. I liked it back then, but but seriously, so many so much of that show makes like more comedic sense to me. Mm-hmm. So there's this real sense of hey, even if we head back to our planet, like does this really? If we know about this whole conspiracy, are we even really going to be allowed to get by? What's going to happen to us as clones and stuff? And everyone essentially concludes, okay, we should just we should still continue on our journey, and we're going to have to figure the rest of this out later on. Uh, we get a montage following up from that point as things, you know, they essentially allow themselves to not dote on how what crazy this uh, new information is, get back to life as normal. And uh, they are, their plan is still like, okay, you know, we'll orbit around the planet and we'll make sure that we're actually going to be able to land safely and the law is on our side and all that stuff before we actually go back home. Mm. Um. And, you know, we see the male kind of chatting around the dinner table and chatting about all sorts of, you know, silly stuff like, hey, we're going to be celebrities. We're going to get to be on TV and all this stuff. Um, then we cut to later on, and uh, it's seemingly at night, as Kanata is just thinking to himself. And it's a really cool uh, little sequence where he's just remembering what happened when they encountered the wormhole and he's reciting the stuff that they were saying to each other to himself, just trying to remember the, uh, the conversation and the sequence of events. And he even makes like a sound effect for himself being sucked through the wormhole, which is a kind of silly little detail. And after he finishes doing that, he gets up and he goes to Aries room and there's, you know, a joke where, where, you know, Aries is like, Oh my God, is he come to make love to me? Is he come to take me in my bed? It's like, no. Nope. You're an <laughs> odd person for assuming that. Well, you know, he's, he, he, he doesn't even say like anything like really, you know, he just says, we need to talk. And she like is imagining like sparkles around him. It's not like you could even say one of the standard, you know, easy to misinterpret lines like, I need you or something like that. Just like, we must talk. Let me in. (laughs) (laughs) Bam, bam, bam. Just knocking on, like banging on the door. Mm. Uh, she gets all flustered, but he's like, Hey, look, it's important. And and he he just goes into her room and they shut shut the door. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, as a result of Kanata reciting this whole conversation to himself, I went back to that first chapter and I went over that sequence of events with everyone, you know, doing stuff. And because I, I believe that this is probably going to be going back to the subject of the mole in the group, mm-hmm. which is something that we haven't really visited in a long time in Astra, but we've occasionally been discussing on this show. Um, I did not see anything, even when he, even when I paid specific attention to the lines that he was saying, uh, that seemed to be really suspicious. The only thing that I saw that might be a tip off is Aries' nonverbal reactions, uh, when they're there. I think that there might be some sort of an implication that she knew what the wormhole was at sight. 
because she has a, re- a different reaction to than other people. When she sees it, you know, she like freezes up. Is like, Ugh. I'm not gonna. I can't say that with any like conclude, you know, feeling of confidence though. Because she's the but. Uh, I mean, we've we've been talking about her early in that in those terms for a while, but uh, I guess in whenever the next chapter comes out, we might finally get a reveal on that. Uh, so we're gonna have to wait, I guess, a couple of weeks for that. I forget. Do I get a free pizza if she turns out to be the mole? I don't remember what I made bets on. That wasn't that wasn't the bet. Our uh, the pizza bet was uh, if uh, what's her name Seki, is uh, Seki Joe is Seki Joe right is a, is a bona fide uh, in lesbian love with Ogata. Yeah, I had to make. Uh, there's no bet writing on our areas. I need to make more free pizza bets so I can start getting food. You're going to start, like, eating. promising me free pizza for one of these, though. Uh, I've yet to owe somebody a free pizza in recent memory. <laughs> but it's, inter- it's, in- it's interesting, and uh, I don't know. It's the, all the stuff with the um, reveal of the planets, the, the two different planets. Uh, we were going for, like, oh, is it an alternate dimension? No, it turns out that the running theory is actually much simpler than that. So, mm. um. But I guess we'll see more about that. You know, the way that I guess the way, but the way that Astro does stuff, where they have a good conversation about something, and then it's like, well, you're gonna, we're going to drop this here and come back to it later. Same way that it happened with the mole and the clones and all that stuff. So, yeah. But a good chapter overall. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I think there's a, you know, it's always cool to see that story get expanded on. All right, let's move on to Food Wars Shokuyaki no Soma, Chapter Two Hundred and Twenty Eight: Hope and Solidarity. We actually start this chapter with an announcement that there's going to be a third season of Food Wars, the uh, anime. Uh, and uh, so a nice little celebration of that. Weird two-page color spread with members of the Council of Ten watching a TV that has Soma's silly-looking face on it. Um, I guess because, you know, the anime is back. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, you got to be uh, super stunk, super stoked. <laughs> Also, would not have called Azon having blonde green hair. That's another one. Anyway. Uh, yeah, that is strange. Good. There you go. Hello? Hello? Hey. Okay, good. I mean, I'm just extra paranoid. We've had so many technical problems. So. Anyway. <laughs> Let's be honest. This episode's never going out. This is fucking... Never going to happen. <laughs> uh, last time, the... Uh, Resistance group got their asses kicked, uh, three, n- three nil in all three contests. Uh, Mimasaka and uh, Megashima and Kuga all got their asses handed to them. We get a flashback at the start of this chapter with Arena going over strategy with her team. She's got like a board behind her and I was kind of hoping that it would be like this, you know, X's and O's, uh, situation. He was like, and you, you'll go over here. Just like starts drawing plays up like John Madden. <laughs> Boom! She's like, oh, you go over here. You go, we, we see we here. We go. Oh, he's got legs go all the way around. Oh, <laughs> maybe Shaka here. And he's got like a weird little haircut. Look at this big stupid left. He's like a so dummy. Anyway, he's going to go up against that other little Japanese guy over there. Are we calling him more assholes? Can we call him that? I don't know anymore. I don't know what's politically correct anymore. The next time that you see a uh, Food Wars pinup featuring Arena in a bikini or a nightgown or something like that, I just want you to have John Madden's voice in your head going, Boom! Tough factor to act in! Honestly, anytime you feel yourself being aroused by any person of any kind, uh, imagine John Madden's voice is the ones they have. Oh, 
They'll really help you quell it, unless John Mann's voice is your thing, in um, which case... Then I've set you off into a dangerous world of, of that's uncontrolled an, emotion. Mm-hmm. You're going to be looking up uh, old NFL highlights clips, and you're going to have very strange feelings going through your body. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Arena talks about how, like, hey, look, this, there's a sacrificial captain tactic that could work in, like, kendo and stuff, but we can't have it here because it's a gauntlet where everything goes to the end. So we have to beat everybody. We must send in our best to face them to a secure victory. Uh, and she says, like, you know, a loss is a worthless loss. And everyone's, apparently they, like, invited in the people from the cage during the strategy meeting. I didn't know that they could do that because uh, there are some people from Polaris who were there. And like, yeah, so the, I, there's no way of winning this if we don't take out the first and second seats as soon as possible. But there, Finch is like, yes. However, we cut to the present. Uh, we do get some more explanation of, uh, how some of the people, uh, lost. Miyasaka, for example, says that, uh, he, his sushi, his, you know, his trace was perfect. His arrangement was perfect. He should have been able to win. But, uh, Somei points out that, uh, what they did was not standard, uh, Edome sushi. It was miniature, and as a result of that, when he made his cuts, he made them too deep uh, because the size is smaller, and so the scale is different. I don't really see how he could have made that mistake if his trace was supposedly perfect, but there you go. Uh, then there was the uh, green tea thing that uh, Sukasa and Kuga clashed over. And they give a very deep explanation of Sukasa's dish and how incredibly good it was. Essentially, according to the judges, like, yeah, Kuga's dish was great, but Jesus Christ, this thing was amazing. Um, they don't really ex- I don't think that they really explain how, uh, Rindo beat Megashima, though. No, there's a- they don't give any explanation to that one quite yet. Um, and it's tough to know exactly what's supposed to happen because the rest of the chapter is kind of talking about like, oh, the rest of the team's so tired. Yeah, um, so tired. So I imagine there's going to be some closure with uh, uh, it's not Mimishika or Mimishima. Megashima. Megashima, that's it. Uh, there's going to be some closure with Megashima talking to somebody else in this this kind of uh, supposed break that's coming up. Mm. Um. That I think we're going to get that, and maybe we'll see a little bit more the next time Rindo goes up, too. Or maybe that's just when I'll do it. Well, Rindo says specifically, hey, let's just keep this going. You know, we're, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to roll over the competition in one fell swoop once, you know, the third bout starts tomorrow. Let's do it, Sukasa. And Sukasa's like, nah, I'm going to pass. Uh, that was actually really exhausting. Uh, I didn't account that Mimasaka would help him out, and so he really pushed me to my limit. And Rindo's like, oh, you're such a, you're such a, Pussy, Sukasa. Come on, let's do this thing. Oh, fuck. Ah. Uh, oh, I'm a little dizzy now, though. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, she has, is forced to admit that, uh, Megashima made a really impressive dish, too. And so going head to head with him or him out. It's a very, like, cooking is serious business kind of chapter because when you think about it, like, I, that shouldn't, it's not like they were actually punching each other. Or anything like that. But, uh, I guess they just really had to subconsciously push themselves in order? I don't know. You know, they, um, they, they, did, anyway, they did what they had to, Nick, you know? 
Not, not really, but uh, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna nod my head and act like I understand you. Yes, sweet. That's all I need. The point is that all three of them have been really exhausted by their bouts, and we get another flashback to the follow-up for Arena's explanation of her strategy, which is, look, if we go up, you know, and just get swatted down by an opponent of overwhelming skill, then that loss is meaningless. However, if one can sap the opponent's concentration, free their focus, and make them exhaust themselves, then that loss may not be a complete waste. Tiring the opponent first makes it far more likely that later attacks will strike home. What was initially a loss might lead to later victories. That is a strategy that will be most effective for us in this Team Shokuyaki. Uh, so a loss is a loss, but at least this way the loss is not in vain. And it opens the way to even greater hope, a hope that the rest of us will carry forward. Our team still stands together. It's like, but... I, I understand the point this chapter is trying to make with the, you know... This is a war. It's a war of attrition. And so there's more to this than just, you know, you have a one-on-one contest and then another one-on-one contest. It will wear you out and it will be there. So there is still more deep, deeper strategy than just like, Oh, we'll do this guy and this guy and have them going against each other and so on and so forth. Mm. But at the same time, I don't know. It, it seems as though like they're counting on their victories having to be easy and their losses having to be tough. I've got the same number of people on each side, so it's yeah. not like you can just try and wear someone down with superior numbers. Yeah, it, it, it is definitely sort of a, a weird deal right now where their implication is like, well, yeah, they may be better, but we're going to beat them out by just outlasting them. Like, it exhausts them to go up against us, the Shokugeki. But I guess we won't have that same issue, and I guess Megashima just didn't have to suffer from that as well, or that's maybe why he lost. Or I, it, It's weird that it's almost like they put in a rule that seems like it's only actually going to affect the uh, villains right now, and not them. I guess the notion is I that mean, they have more people, so maybe they can take this advantage to just try to keep their guys as fresh as possible. It, it, it just seems like a weird thing to be like, Cookie takes so much out of you and we'll just, we'll weed them, like, whittle them down that way. And, I mean, it is true that right now Central has more people that have already been in a match than uh, Soma's team does, because Megashima was in both of those contests and now he's eliminated, so there are two people on in the resistance that have been previous contests, and there are three people in Central who have. Mm-hmm. That part is true, but it's it's just kind of a weird logic when you really think about it. I can see how it would be true, you know, because, like, if you... I don't know. Because she makes this whole deal about there is no such thing as a sacrificial captain, but then it's like, but you can still... It's It's weird. Kyuga throws a fit uh, because he did really want to, you know, beat Tsukasa. And Arya's like, oh, but hey, you know, you, you contributed to the team. And Kyuga's like, don't try and console me! <laughs> Starts getting Soma to do little tasks for him. Um, but, uh, you know, Kuga's like, hey, you know, I, at least I got Tsukasa uh, really ticked off. I made trouble for him, so I guess I could call this an acceptable result for now. Sukasa and Soma exchange a little, a few words one more time. Uh, and, uh, Sukasa's like, hey, you know, there are still another four of us to go. So even then, I'm not sure you'd get your chance. And Soma's like, eh, 
I'm going to be in my next, in the next bout. You know, we came here to win as a team and I'm going to get plenty of chances to challenge you again once we get the Institute back, you know. So someone's showing a little bit of selflessness because obviously he wants to have his rematch with Sukasa, but he's not making that a priority. He's making winning the priority. Yeah. Good job. And, uh, we get the reveal because they just say right away that in the bouts that are going to happen tomorrow, the first one is going to be on with Soma and Takumi and, uh, Megumi. And, uh, there are no announcements of what, uh, Central is going to be sending forward. Yeah. And I think that's the right way to kind of do this right now. Like, this is going to be the thing that's kind of going to get me the most excited, certainly, is just like, let's, let's put the characters in that I kind of care about, you know? And we know that, you know, um, they're not going to be going up against the very top, all the very top students again. So mm-hmm. this is a chance for, you know, a character like Megami to, you know, have a chance to shine. Exactly. Yep. So hopefully, okay. hopefully we get something cool there. Uh, I'm excited for that. All right. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. <laughs> What's that mean, Chris? We're gonna, we're gonna what? We're gonna, we're gonna get, get super fucking get baked. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do some weed. We're gonna get lit, bitches. <laughs> I'm gonna drop some acid. Well, that's completely different. Cry into this Z- mic and it's, it's a lot of things are gonna happen. It's a busy night for me. Z equals 24 lightning speed. Last time, uh, after serving up some ramen to everybody, we were introduced to Gen, the double agent who is kind of working for, for, uh, Sukasa and for, uh, Sukasa. Is it Sukasa? Yeah, Sukasa. You got it. It is Sukasa. I'm sorry, I just got confused because I just came off of talking about Sukasa and Soma, and now there's a Sukasa here, right? Yeah. Uh, he's now basically being like, hey, you know, whose victory would I enjoy more here? You know, there's, there's, there's Senku and there's Sukasa. And let's think about this, you know, hey, if we, if, if we, you know, if I side with Senku, then, then, it, then, and you end up winning, then I'll get treasures created by science, like ramen. But at the same time, it'll involve a lot of work. But if I join with Sukasa, then it'll be easy living. If we revive some idols, I'll get my dream harem. At least he's upfront about what he's about. Hey, you know, he's, he's not, he's not burying the lead. He, he wants chicks. Yeah. And, and, uh, so he goes to me like, what's a harem? And he's like, well, it's when one boy and like <laughs> seven or eight girls all love each other, but no one will say anything. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound satisfying at all. <laughs> oh, it's not, Suika. It's not. Let's just ask Yuiga about it. Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, What's a harem? I don't know. <laughs> um, and Gen's just like, you know, I'm kind of still leaning towards Team Sukasa at this point. And so I like how Kohaku is being proactive about this. Like, oh, really? Okay, then. Maybe we should just kill you. <laughs> Since we can't trust you, you're being upfront about we can't trust you, maybe we should just kill you. <laughs> it's like, oh, hold on, guys. Actually, wait a minute. I suddenly feel very trustworthy. Uh, Senku's like, hey, 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 you know, look, we're gonna actually use our new iron to make something really special, and when you see it, you're gonna definitely be 10 billion percent behind Team Science. And Gen's like, oh, what, you're gonna make a katana? And Senku's like, no, I'm gonna make a power plant. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, bro. I, Holly, like, pulls up his civilization science chart. He's like, you're skipping <laughs> over way too many steps. This does, this does not follow the flow chart at all whatsoever. 
Oh, and why is Gandhi invading again? <laughs> Do you even have the wheel yet? This is crazy. Oh, you just found ruins and automatically you just upgraded two fucking civilizations. Oh, this is bullshit. Man, I hate this game. All I'm surrounded by is barbarians. And one Max. thing and one thing of whales. Whales? Like the animal? Yeah. Uh, whales were uh, a resource in that game. They were like what a, the fuck? They were, they were a luxury resource. I guess you would use them for oil. Yeah, oil and and, and all that sort of stuff. But I, I always was used because you could trade luxury resources to one another, and there was a point where I traded whales for sugar, and I was like, this is the greatest trade in the world. I was like, I would like some sugar. Would you take some of my whales as I just drop a cargo ship full of I'm like, they need a Here, lot of water. have some salt. <laughs> yeah, they're like, here's one pound of sugar, and of course, equal exchange, seven whales. <laughs> <laughs> Going rate of sugar is pretty high. So, uh, Senku starts getting some copper wiring, uh, raiding Chrome's cabinet to get some copper so he can make some wire. And then he's like, oh, if only we had some lightning here. Immediately thunder booms in the background. And I like how everyone turns to the horizon and it's Senku who's like the most shocked of everyone. It's like, I was, I, I wasn't, not now. He's like, it's actually not helpful right now. I'm prepared. Uh, so he sends everyone kind of uh, g- gathering stuff while uh, all of the villagers who aren't directly uh, acquainted with him start scrambling around saying that they need to hi- hide. And they say, oh, lightning is coming. It's heaven's rage. So it seems that there is still definitely some superstition along with all of the uh, lack of civilization in this village. Uh, Sekou quickly explains that using the iron that he could make, uh, he could make a magnet with the power of science. Uh, but, he, and, uh, he says, yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna set up a lightning rod and sit around waiting like an idiot, but hey, we've got a lightning coming here, so we should just do it. Which, when you think about it, the stuff with Sukasa, uh, you know, w- right when we, ver- the very first couple of chapters when we started this series, uh, you know, Senku was talking about like, hey, you know, we've got to really get stuff going so that we can really kick off civilization and get humanity back on track to the way it was before. But having an opposition like Sukasa really increases the sense of urgency to everything. I like that he's like, hey, a lightning storm is going on right now. We need to take advantage of this opportunity right now and get stuff moving, even though it's kind of fucking dangerous to be doing this shit. Yeah, it gives a sense of actual, like, urgency to it that isn't just, we should do this eventually. It's like, we have to hurry now. Every every day matters. Sukasa could come for us at any moment, so we need to have the best possible weapons, most, the best possible infrastructure as we're ready for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they make some really rapid preparations uh, to get stuff ready. They uh, melt, after they've melted the copper down, uh, they carve a groove into the board in order to uh, then pour the copper into it in order to make a hardened wire, which is you know, a cool little sequence that goes by really fucking quickly. But, yeah. uh, and uh, so as they're doing all this, we cut over to, you know, some of the uh, village uh, leaders. And uh, I forget this guy's name. This gi- Magma is his name. This giant man who... Has some fierce fucking eyebrows. You can you can tell he's intimidating because he's got the groove in the eyebrows that look like horns. That's how we identify um, them. So uh 
he says he's coming towards them and he's like, because there are some villagers who are just like, hey, I'll bet the lightning was called down by their sorcery and it's heaven's rage of punishing them. And Meg was like, so I'll kill them. Leave it to me. And the guy next to him was just like, okay. It's a weird little, like, yeah, you do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Murder is a great idea. Go kill our friends. <laughs> so they obviously still need some time in order to pull off this plan before he comes and interrupts it. So Gen is actually the one to step up to the plate. And he's like, Suika, find me some flowers. Flowers trump war. And as they approach, he's just holding these flowers out towards them with this really fucking weird look on his face. What happened to his eyes? I don't know. <laughs> I it's think, like he... I think maybe he, that's to indicate he's batting them really quickly? I... You have me. Whatever. And uh, he 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 tells them, like, uh, you know, because they're like, oh, you're calling down Heaven's Rage. And he's like, no. See, we're using sorcery to make that mean old lightning vanish, just like this. And he makes the flowers disappear down his sleeves with sleight of hand. Uh... Cool little, cool little, uh, little thing, and I wonder if Gen's actually going to be used more as a weird magician than as an actual mentalist, if he's doing stuff like that. I think that's kind of what he's meant to be, that he's somewhat supposed to have, like, the, the sleight of hand sort of thing to it. He's the con man, he's the trickster. Exactly, yeah. Uh, which, this distracts them, because they're like, Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Sorcery! Um, there is a note that, uh, someone made. I think it was, I think it was actually Jeff who made this note as, uh, they were setting off to make this plan is that, uh, Ginro is like, Hey, are you seriously? G-? Oh no, it was Gin who, who said this when he was saying that he was going to make a power plan. Cause Gin's like, are you pulling my leg? That'd be as hard as some crazy hard video game. It's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> literally, yes. I guess when you're going to phrase it exactly that way. Yeah. That's, you, you it's pretty much what that would mean. <laughs> oh man, let me tell you something, something, Chris. This, this Tamai is as hot as a really hot day. <laughs> <laughs> like that lightning looks like it would, uh, just strike us just like lightning would. Mm. Uh, you know what, Nick? Maybe let's go back. Let's take ourselves back to 2000. X-Men's just come out. Halle Berry's in the, the role of her lifetime. And she delivers that line that really, I think we never really understood the full context of at the time. What yeah, happens, so Nick, when a frog is struck by lightning? It, it croaks? That would make sense. No, the line is actually... I know what the line actually is. is. I was just saying something right that made yeah. sense <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. And still on those lines, I'm like, I don't even know. The same thing that happens to everything else. But some stuff... Some things have a different reaction when the stripper like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> She's like, stop it. Stop talking that way. Uh, Senku leads everyone up to the top of a barren hill. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he's, he's like, ah, you know, this is, you know, just the way that at NASA old man Vasilevsky would conduct successful experiments creating lightning. Uh, creating magnets rather with places that, that were, you know, had a lot of lightning. And so, you know, here we go. If it's gonna, if there's gonna be a lightning strike, it'll be at the top of this hill. We've gotta set stuff up. Um, 
And they're like, oh, hey, the lightning is close. We've got to get all this stuff together and set up the scaffolding for the lightning rod or it's going to be too late. And Kohaku's me like, oh, if only we had something long that we could stick into the ground. And she looks over in the bushes and he spots the golden spear and she's like, oh. <laughs> like that dude this face like, that she makes. <laughs> I just like the dude who's just like, no. Not the spear. It's all I have. I've had it for all of three hours. <laughs> A very bizarre shot of Kuhaku grabbing the spear and uh, attaching it to the copper-tied uh, iron rod and sticking it into the ground because there's this kind of upskirt discretion shot that she does. I mean, it's... that's 90% of her shots in this series. It, it, it is definitely a thing that, uh, oh, what's his name? Bo... Bochi. Bochi. Bochi has definitely been told, like, all right, we can't make it as, like, explicit as your previous series. He's like, but I could do everything up until just showing, like, the gooch, right? It's like, I mean, yeah. And there's, sure. there's a lot of shots where you could see Kohaku's, like, placed in the position where you're like, I guess, thank God that spear's there. I'd be getting a face full of it. <laughs> this is probably one of the more flagrant versions of it, but it happens quite a lot with her. Mm. So lightning strikes the spear, and we see everyone reacting to it. Senku happy, and Chrome being like, yeah! And then Gen's like, he's seriously going to be generating power? For real? And the scales in his mind immediately basically collapse at the thought of having electricity. Uh, A cool little chapter, and a different sort of action chapter that I like that we get out of this series. Everyone rushing around to do science-y things. Um, so intent, and honestly, in a pretty intense sequence and, uh, some, uh, cool little bits here and there. Yeah. No, I, I, I certainly, uh, dig it. I think it's a fun chapter. I like seeing just the way these things are like continuing to get bigger and bigger with each kind of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, chapter. And supposedly the series has been really do, uh, doing really well in Japan. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Apparently it's, yeah, it's doing quite well. So, all right, let's uh, head on to uh, We Never Learn Now. All right, so hold on here. i got to open it back up because all my stuff got closed. But we are going to be on Chapter 28 of We Never Learn. Question 28. He struggles with X in a Forbidden Zone. Oh, boy. <laughs> so the premise for this chapter initially is kind of interesting because we start with... Oh, yeah, uh, for the first page. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we start with Naruyuki's mom who we know a little bit about. We don't know the full context. We know their family's poor, so we haven't really seen what she's done so much. And we see from this chapter that she's just she's sick right now and can't go to work. And Yuega's like, don't worry about it. Like, don't push yourself. I'll do and fill in your job for you. And you're like, okay, uh, let's let's see what this is. It seems he's a good boy taking, we're doing his mom's job for her. What does she do? Well, she works in the lingerie department of uh, a mall store, I guess. Uh, it's weird because the store's name is Luxure Jelly. Yes. And it has a diamond logo, but seems to exclusively sell scantily clad lingerie. Like, just like sexy lingerie is solely what it seems to actually carry. I think that the implication is is that it's meant to be, you know, a classy lingerie store. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's luxurious, but also it's a sex pun because 
it must be jelly because Jan don't move like that. That's the, that's, I think what's supposed to be. I don't know. This is an English name for a store from a Japanese manga series, so you never know. It's weird that it would be a high class lingerie store because the thing that happens is, you know, Naruki's like, I think I'm going to be kind of embarrassed working with women's underwear the whole time. So like, all right, you'll just go inside of Wolfball, our mall's mascot character. <laughs> and I'm like, I feel like if you were an upscale establishment, you wouldn't have a cartoon rabbit mascot for people to try on bras with. And not only, like, because obviously the wackiness has to ensue where the actual store manager has to leave abruptly because uh, an emergency has come up and leave Nariyuki alone to deal with this. Uh, all of his classmates come, and of course, I guess it's the fact that there's no other employees around, which is just it, it, incredibly dangerous to begin with if there's no one else in the store. Like, Let me just crazy. leave this 15-year-old boy in charge of the lingerie store. <laughs> But then in addition, everyone who comes in is like, oh, hey, mascot character, can you help us with all of our intimate, like, needs and questions right now? It's like, it's okay. You can, like, you know, measure me and, like, you know, put your hands on my tits in order to figure out which, uh, here. You're you're obviously a girl. Be in the changing room with me as I'm trying on the bras that I know which is best. (laughs) Obviously, you're a girl. I have no reason to make that assumption. Here, can you motorboat me in order to figure out which bra would fit me best? Yeah, I'm like, let me... All right, we're just going to slap our tits against your chest, and you tell us how big we need our bras. All right, there you go. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, that's essentially the situation that happens. Takamoto and Ogata first show up, and Takamoto's like, my friend needs to get her cup size measured. And long and short of this entire sequence is it's a very sexy and steamy encounter where Ogata has to help measure Ogata's chest and it's very sensual because he did you know he's like oh I'm just holding tape but it's all around her body at all and now I have to go underneath and oh and then Takamoto shows up with two bras and she asks which example do you think would a high school boy prefer the sexy look or the pure look. And she then kind of like really fucking cold cocks fucking uh, Uega because she's like, the guy I like is always staring at girls' chests according to a friend. <laughs> and of course, like, Uega has for, like misconstrued the situation, so he's like, whoever she likes must be a real sleaze bag. <laughs> uh, but eventually he's just like, you should get the pure style. And they head off satisfied in everything they've managed to get out of this. And you're like, well... Which is, it's... it's a, there's so many weird moments in, in this whole thing. Um, first off, there's, like, you know, uh, Yuiga trying to, like, not freak out. I, I will give a little bit of credit because, you know, again, you know, Yuiga tries to avoid these weird situations. And the first thing that he does when Ogata and Uruka show up is he tries to explain the situation. Oh, but the costume prevents his voice from coming out because he must have trouble breathing in the goddamn thing if that's the case. And then he's like, okay, I should take it the head off so that I can explain it before any- this goes anywhere bad. But the costume is preventing him from being able to reach the zipper behind it. This thing is a freaking torture device. It's awful. Yes. It is uh, this weird instrument of just pain and agony. <laughs> um. And you think that's it. He also freaks out when he hears the size of Ogata's chest. Because they, like, she, 
you know, because uh, Aruka's like, oh my gosh, she's 91 centimeters. And, and Aruka's like, this is 91 centimeters. Now, I don't know about you, Chris, or anyone else, but I'm 28, and I still have a really difficult time determining what, like, measurements actually mean in terms of how busty a girl is. So the fact that he immediately is just like, that means your tits are fucking great. It's like, how do you know that? <laughs> what uh, context do you have for this? I think for him, and this is probably just something there, in Japan, I think it's it's more commonly kind of known that, like, certain people, like, idols and things like that kind of, I don't know, maybe the idols, but I think the notion of, like, knowing the, like, measurements of people, like, I, I don't know, I, I watch porn, but I, I don't know, a, like, a porn star's measurements, like, that's just not relevant, but it seems to be more relevant in Japan. This is entirely an assumption on my part, I don't know this for a fact, so please don't take it as such, but it seems to be something I've only seen referenced in manga, so I imagine it might, uh, you know, manga and anime, so I imagine it may be something more of a cultural thing with Japan that maybe that comes up more. I know that's, that the measurements are a thing that, yeah, like, idol culture shares a lot. Like, you know, it's like, hello, my name is Blah, I'm Blah, you know, centimeters high, and these are my three measurements, and all that kind of thing. It's a very model kind of thing. Uh, but, <laughs> just the fact that he's immediately able to, it's like, this is how big her tits are! It's just, it, I don't need to know that that you know that kind of thing, Iwiga. Come on, man. He's like, are you sure? <laughs> uh, so... Hold on a sec here. Alright, so... That's not the end of things, though. No, we've got two more things to go through. So... Then, he, he, he gets caught by Kirisu-senpai-sensei, who is like, Can you help me, shopkeeper? I hate asking this, but could you unfasten the bra I'm wearing? It's too tight and I can't take it off. And obviously he he has to endure this. He has to help get her bra off and she's like, she's like, oh man, it's taken a really long time. Don't tell me that I, I, I broke it. Did I? Did I, did I destroy it and everything like that? And, you know, you're, you're kind of sitting here watching this happen. You're just like, oh, what is happening anymore? I, I don't even know. <laughs> he eventually gets it off. And she's so happy because she's like, oh, thank goodness, you are it's not broken. You're a great shopkeeper. Uh, and they just, I guess, tastefully avoid having to show any nipple in that moment. And, uh. Yeah, the, 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 the weird strappy bit is just covering up the nipple. Yeah. And, uh, you're like, well, finally we're done. Except, Nick. There's no. A, there's another girl in this harem. We have to get to her next. So. Then in comes Fumino, who's sneaking in because she she was, thought it was so nice that they would invite her in, but she's embarrassed about her her cup size, and she she wants to choose her lingerie on her own time alone. I mean, have you seen Ogata? She's ninety one centimeters. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, for real, right? <laughs> so of course the the entire sequence there is uh, when she sees the shopkeeper, she asks to try on bra sizes that are obviously for much larger cup sizes than her on the notion that maybe one time this will work. And uh, she goes in to try all of them and laughs, saying, ah, I guess I'm still an A cup. And uh, as that happened, the shopkeeper's return has helped Uega out of his suit, and uh, Fumino sees that it's Uega and realizes what's happened. I do like the face that she makes, honestly. She's lost all hope in the world. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, smile, oh, 
everything is death. <laughs> she says, she says her line specifically is the gods are dead. <laughs> I, I do like that. And I like that the chapter at least ends with them having an explanation for it. And, uh, Firmino being like, I guess I understand considering the circumstances, what happened. And you just bought me a shit ton of ice cream to buy off, <laughs> to buy off me hating you, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, it's, I guess, you, you know, we have to have these chapters, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're used to, we're used to kind of the rhythm, I guess, so we never learn by this point where, you know, we get a, an occasional really good character chapter, but, and, you know, a, a, a nice little standalone chapter, but there's always that very, this is a romance comedy harem series, uh, chapter that happens about every three or so. This was just a f- pretty damn egregious, uh, case of one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I don't per se think that it's like, uh, the worst chapter or the most like, dis- it's not like a disgusting chapter or something like that. Like, it doesn't feel like sleazy in the some way other points, like other series we read it for the bad fan service does. It's just one of those ones where it's, it's like the chapter where it was like Takamoto forgot her bra, where you're just like, it's just sort of weirdly uncomfortable. Like, I know the series can do better than this, but, uh, you know, it may have to also, I guess, just go into this at times to, to, you know, I guess, stay popular or, you know, whatever it needs to do. Hmm. All right. Let's move on to, from all of the talk of, of titties to something much more innocent, uh, children trying to escape from demons who want to eat them. Okay. Promise Neverland. Chapter 52, B0632, Part 2. We open this chapter with Sanju confronting the, the demon pursuers that are after Emma and Ray and company, and uh, he immediately starts slaughtering them. There's an interesting little uh, exchange that happens before he cuts down some of the dog-like ones. They seem to recognize him, which seems to imply that he is actually, like, a wanted uh, person among the demons. Uh, and... Um, we also get in the flashback uh, that he was saying that uh, to um, uh, Mujika that, hey, they saw me. So apparently, um, yeah, there's more to the to these two than we have gotten so far, even with the reveal of Sanju's uh, motivations for letting the kids uh, move on to find trying to find Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene kind of closes with him confronting the humanoid, one of the demons, but, but, uh, then we get, you know, just kind of like a, uh, kind of drifting over the corpses shot and it's, we eventually see that, uh, yeah, he cut his head off. Um, so, Sanju won. Didn't get to see the fight between the two of them, which I think would, could have been really cool seeing like, you know, the speed, the, the one spear versus the other sword, but, uh, oh well. Yeah. What could he do? So everyone is at B0632, but there's nothing there. Uh, the younger kids have a big freak out about it. They just throw a little tantrum and Ray and the other kids just kind of like wait until they're done. Eventually Ray's just like, you're done. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> That's the how you throw a temper tantrum. Let me show you how you throw a temper tantrum. He's like, I'm going to start kicking everywhere. Watch out. My feet are going hog wild. I'm going to be like a hit my top, hit my top, hit my top. <laughs> 
What's a Hitmon Top? Oh my gosh, Gen Two is the best Gen of Pokemon. <laughs> what people don't understand is a Hitmon Top is actually the best because he's a balance between offense and defense. He takes the most also, skill because you have triple to kick. Yeah, no, no other Pokemon knows triple kick. <laughs> it's the best move. The best fighting type move. She's like, I don't even really know if it's a fighting type move. It might be normal. He's like, you shut your whore mouth, Emma. <laughs> now I'm going to stand on my head and spin around on it. That's a great martial arts style. Hit him on top, 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 top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk all Pokemon sound effects from now on. Gong, 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 gong. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a woke like me, you would be able to speak Pokemon. I guess you're just not aware of it. <laughs> He's like, pick up, pick up, pick not- up, pick up, pick up. Oh, you don't understand me? I guess you're not woke. I guess you just don't understand the 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 problems that are being encountered by the slowpokes. They're having their tails cut off. It's a delicacy, don't you know? Those are fictional species, Ray. Someone's gonna save them. I'm gonna have to. I am a Pokemon Ranger after all. She's like, I don't even know. What- just puts on a badge. She's like, she's like, I don't even know what that means, Ray. <laughs> I had to pass a test for this and everything. He like hides the clippings that he that he that he turned in in order to fucking buy it. Anyway, yeah, wherever we were on this at this point, Ray says that um, he you know, he takes the pen from him and is like, "Hey, look, I I got I got some more inf- There's more information from the pen, but we only got halfway through it last time. And uh, when I was checking through it, uh, I didn't see any more." Uh, I just got, had an error that showed up even when I put in the pr- correct answer. So I'm assuming that it won't actually advance me at a certain point unless you go to a specific location, namely here at B0632. So let's try doing it from here. Uh, and so they go through the process of, of, uh, you know, looking through the book, uh, finding the correct word to put in and so on. And, uh, once they get to the screen that gave him an error message, he's like, okay, you now the word here is history. They put it in, and uh, a map shows up. A weird, weird, really weird kind of wireframe-looking thing that looks like it would be very fucking difficult to read. Uh, but Ray points out, okay, okay, there's an entrance that leads underground over that way, so look, let's look around over here, and they end up managing to find a hatch uh, shallowly buried in the ground. They open it up, climb down a ladder, and they're like, this is it, this is where Mr. Minerva is! And they go down a hallway... Uh, they find what looks honestly like a prison to me, um, with the uh, numbers on the doors and stuff like that. I guess they could just be, you know, what they are said, what they're implying that they are, which is just shelters. But oh no, it looks rather imposing, if you ask mm. me. Oh, well, we know that there's supposed to be something kind of shady to Mister Minerva, so it makes sense. Mm-hmm. They get to down to the end of a hallway, and when they look inside, there is an adult man uh, looking very comfortable. He's got his legs kicked up, surrounded by computer monitors, and also he's got plenty of snacks. Look at all those fucking cookies he's got with him. And uh, he greets them and says, you must be tired after your long trip. Welcome to the B0632 shelter. Yeah, and, what's uh, up, kids? I got plenty of cookies. You guys want to watch Netflix? Clothes on. It's pretty interesting. It's a bunch of super hot chicks and leotards. They fight each other. It's super dope. He's got some weird hair, doesn't he? The lightning bolts going through it. He does. He, he has a looks very. Like a, he looks like a Yu-Gi-Oh protagonist uh, whose life took a bad turn after his season was done. That is, yeah. I was gonna say he's either that or like a Yu-Gi-Oh antagonist who's just the shithead dude who just like 
cheats the entire time. Like, he just, like, walks up and punches, like, the female lead and takes her deck and throws it over the side. He's like, your turn! <laughs> She's like... That's not, too much be- that's not too much better than most female protagonists being treated in Yu-Gi-Oh, so... Yeah. <laughs> he also uh, seems to have a little... It's kind of hard to tell because he's slimmed over. He seems to have a little bit of a paunch on him. Ooh. Yeah, well, he does seem to have a little bit of weight, yeah. It does, uh, from that angle, seem to be so. I'm not uh, saying, like, oh, he's fat or something. I was just saying, like, you don't see too many characters that are in anime manga that are drawn that way, where they, you know, have a mostly normal body style. Usually, if a, if a character is overweight, they're just like, oh, I'm overweight. Oh, yeah, so. All fat shame the shit out of him. Look at this porky motherfucker, this big old <laughs> donut, this big old flabby fat, 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 fat. <laughs> That's right, you sit there with your hundred monitors and stream Netflix for 30 hours in a row while you eat your cookies and nothing else. Don't even get up to use the bathroom. <laughs> He's like, it is quite the luxurious life I live. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Lucky fuck you, rubble, rubble. Um, I'm like, I'll let you know when we see it. God damn it. <laughs> um, yeah, so decent, uh, decent chapter. Uh, I will say I wasn't really expecting to just, them to just encounter a human adult like this outside this, uh, outside of the uh, farm so quickly. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we're moving, or like, we're moving about pretty quickly. So I, I gather, like, we kind of need to, I guess, do that to, I guess, keep the story moving, so to speak. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it definitely is sort of like a a quick pace of finding this guy. Um, let's jump in real quick, because we actually have two chapters of the Seven Deadly Sins to talk about. Yeah, that's true, yes. Uh, but it kind of works that they're both sort of really much uh, one in the same. So chapter... 231 and chapter 232 uh chapter 231 is pride versus wrath and uh the cover page is all in color and i i think it's supposed to be olympic themed or maybe there's some sort of like sports festival going on in japan at that point because everyone has like different sporting events that they're like set up for like bonds playing golf uh, Merlin's doing like Taekwondo, it looks like. Um, all sort of different things there. Kind of cool just to see it all in color. Uh, and this chapter starts off with a really awesome first page where it's, uh, Escanar staring down at Melodius and you just see the height difference that occurs. Between yeah. Him. Like, Melodius Mel- is Melia just like coming up to like just below crotch level of Escanar and Escanar's bulging with muscles. His axe is like the same size as Meliodas's. Yeah, and like Melodius has always been kind of saw, uh, small, uh, but seeing this sort of scale difference is pretty cool. And I love the way that he has to lean back to look him in the eye. Mm-hmm. And we get sort of some uh, pre-fight trash talk between them as uh, Melodius is just like, "Watch your mouth, you!" And then the uh, you know Escanar has this whole like, "I'm in a wicked good mood. You want to know why? Because it's time for me to prove that pride is superior to wrath." And, uh, he starts off by just slamming him in the fucking face with an axe. Like, immediately. Uh, it gets blocked. 
Uh, but is then followed up by another great full page spread as Escanar just like starts going fucking like a whack-a-ball. Like you, it, you it really does. You don't see what's happening there. It, it's not. I love the face he's making during uh, during it too. Just like very matter of the fact about everything of just like. Uh, it's not very effective though. Uh, Melodius didn't seem to be bothered by it, counters it, and kind of t- starts turning the fight a little bit against Escanar. Um, you know, he's, he's holding his own as best he can, but Melodius seems to be just crazy fast right now. Um, anytime Escanar kind of tries to attack, Melodius just keeps putting like a bigger counter into it, like, uh, it pales him at one point. And they start saying, like, hey, uh, Merlin, undo your barrier. Like, we have to help. Uh, Elizabeth wants to get in there, and Merlin's like, if I take it down, he will kill all of us. Like, this is the only thing, and don't worry, it's gonna be noon soon, and we know Escadar's power kinda goes and gets stronger based on, like, what time of the day it is. I believe noon's supposed to be the strongest. That would certainly be the case here, but I don't know. When remember. the sun is the highest in the sky, yeah. Yeah. So, he, uh, it's about noon, and we see, uh, Melodius being like, if you're not tough enough, you're gonna be seeing hell. And, <laughs> Fucking, it's so weird because he's that fucking big, but Escanar just fucking, like, Shawn Michaels kicks up to his feet. <laughs> like, there's no, he doesn't have to he lift Braun himself Braun Strowman's up. to his feet. <laughs> yeah, he just fucking kicks up and he's just like, oh, half George Mitchell, strong. Second to me, that is, as he's become, like, fucking, yeah, he even has that, uh, and he's like, oh, wow, look how crazy his combat class is, 114,000! Uh, and he gets his shit pushed in. <laughs> like, Melodius hits him with one <laughs> big punch, and uh, uh, he's down. And that's chapter 231. 232 is the strongest versus the most wicked. And, I love uh, the little shot of, because uh, Eskimo is brought down to his hands and knees, and Meliodas uh, puts his demony foot on top of Eskinor's head. Mm-hmm. Just to taunt him. Now, I need to address the cover page of Chapter 232. Jesus Christ. I don't under... <laughs> all the characters are children and naked, essentially. Because um, they fill out their clothes. Except for except for King. He, his clothes just fit well, fine. Well, they know, because the, Merlin has that thing. She's like, oh, so that's the original size of a fairy. But I don't know why they were turned into kids. I guess the notion is that Merlin did it? I don't know. I really don't know. It's a very strange fucking opening, because you can see fucking little... Meliodas, please put your pants on. <laughs> yeah, you can see little baby Meliodas dick right there, and <laughs> it's just strange. Uh, everyone's, like, wondering, like, how could this happen? Escanar should be constantly increasing in strength. Melodius is, like, leading him around, though, by the nose. How is this possible? And, uh, you know, Merlin explains, like, this is what Melodius was like when he was the leader of the Ten Commandments, uh, when he was genuinely just that terrifying of an opponent. And Escanar, like, hurls a sun at fucking Meliodas, and he bounces that back, and you just see this huge explosion occurring inside of the cube. And then we hear this voice that just says, ha, 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 just one more step. And they're like, oh, I wonder who that is. Um, There's a little bit more of, like, a kind of combat between them, and essentially Melodius is just outclassing this guy, and he's just laughing the entire time about how you know, it's it's nice that this has been one of the more exciting fights he's had. He doesn't normally get these unless he's fighting his kid brother, so it's going to be a shame to kill you. And uh, Rowan says, oh, well, don't worry. We have uh, one minute of reprieve left because 
Escanar's power grows along with the rising sun moment by moment and reaches its peak precisely at noon. And for one minute, he will become invincibility incarnate. His name, The One. <laughs> oh my god, Billy Gunn's here to save the day! Bow, bow, bow. Uh, it's this huge two-page spread. I've got it all! <laughs> I've got it all! Of, uh, Escanar, and he looks terrified. He essentially looks like the Hulk, but with a fucking... But with ass, a mustache. Yeah, like a <laughs> dapper-ass British mustache. And, uh, Escanar, I'm literally just like, oh, so you still hit something for me. Doesn't matter. God, you're done. And Escanar's just like, that's itched. Divine sword and just fucking like cuts melodious across the chest. You just see this huge cut up here. He didn't use a weapon, by the way. That was his hand. <laughs> and uh and Melodious is pretty shaken by that, and Escarus says, You demon or whatever you are, how does it feel to be looked down upon by a human? And uh that's sort of the image we're left with uh, as it looks like Melodious has fallen and Elizabeth is running to the barrier. So uh, I'm very excited that they did actually keep to the idea that, like, Escanar at peak noon is supposed to be crazy strong. Because I was really worried they were just going to chump him out to Melodius's full power. But I-, I like that it's like, hey, even at most of that top power, he still can't beat Melodius at his greatest. But in this moment, like this one minute kind of reprieve that's there, Escanar is fucking unbeatable or whatever. Mm-hmm. I-, I think this was, was two cool. really good chapters. Cool. It was a really cool fight. Uh, very happy with this. This is one of the best fights I think that we've seen in, uh, just in, in, a uh, current manga in a, in a quite a while. So. Mm-hmm. This is a nice back and forth. Uh, both of them just getting stronger and stronger and then and cutting it off before it got, before it went on too long. Yeah. So very happy with this. Yep. I think it was super cool. Um, yeah, I I really like these chapters. Uh, very excited to see where this uh kind of gets to. We're gonna head on to Black Clover, page one twenty two. My way, it's my way or the highway. Check, check other check, shitty check, songs. Check, 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 check out my melody. We start things off from the aftermath of the most recent bouts with uh, Noel and Yuno uh, winning the match. Um, both, uh, Noel's brother and uh, the guy that you defeated are kind of not doing so hot. Um, mostly it's psychological damage. Uh, and you know, it's just like, once you stumble, you elites sure are fragile. Was this a thing for you? Like, did you, do you, like, you resent it? I, whatever. Um, Charmy congratulates Yuno. Uh, presents him with the giant cupcake, and he thinks to himself, hmm, oh, this is important to replenish your energy. So he accepts it, and he's like, oh, thank you. I will savor it. And we get this, like, you know, Cupid shot with an arrow striking Charmy's heart, and she just, like, not just falls over backwards, but, like, leaps over 30 feet onto her back. She's so enamored. I like she's She's pretty happy about this. I like seeing, you know, the her the sequence of her falling back like that. It's a cool little gag. Mm-hmm. Anyway, things move on to the second round. We get a little bit of bookkeeping done, uh, noting that Noel's like, okay, you know, with my with my mana training, 
my control is a lot better, so I can still use Sea Dragon's Roar two more times during this. So I've got to keep on doing this and get chosen for the Royal Knights. So nice to know that it's like, oh, hey, you know, we've got this, like, limit that we established with her. So, yep. Um, they changed the landscape uh, for the second round of the tournament. And uh, the Wizard King explains, you know, it's important that we get to get a better picture of your abilities to have you fight under all sorts of different conditions. Uh, so then we're, we're going to fight on this field instead. And there's all sorts of obstacles in the way with trees and mountains and a freaking waterfall in the right in the middle of it. Um, things start to move right on ahead with teams B and C going against each other. That's uh, Asta with Mimosa and Zerks versus Kershaw and that Magna. And uh, so Zerks is like, hey, all right, guys, let's do our best with that teamwork again. And Asta's like, hey. You got upset when they shifted the field around. You had other traps set up, didn't you? And these sorts of like, all right, you've got your fucking key so you can sense that shit. Yeah, yeah all right, yes, I set traps all over the field yesterday. You fucking prick. I fucking hate you so much. I'm wearing leather straps over my mouth. Rubble, rubble. <laughs> rabble, rabble. I rustled up some intel and found out that they were holding the test here. So that's how he had all those traps set up before. We were kind of wondering about that, uh, when he had managed to do that. So, yeah, he basically just flat out fucking cheated <laughs> and asked accuses him of such. And he's like, oh, and why is that, you thundering moron? <laughs> just so casually says it. <laughs> but he says, information warfare is a skill, too. Did the rules say we can't set traps the day before? They haven't even called me out on it. Fair point. Yeah. Um, and Asa says, hey, well, you know, you you should have told us where the traps were because we're on the same team and we could have helped you. And Zerk's like, no, because if I tell you, the enemy would probably pick up on it. And besides, I'm doing this my way. Title drop. My way or the highway. Stand up and show. It's my way, my way, highway. Yeah, I think that everyone would be still super into Limbisket if it sounded like he sounded like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> oh, hi! My way or the highway? <laughs> it's Mickey Mouse He's rolling, 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 It's me, Mickey, here with the chocolate starfish and the hot dog flaming water, everybody! <laughs> what a fuck! Oh, God, it's the stupidest fucking album title I've ever heard still. <laughs> anyway, um... We get a little bit of trash talk to start things off. Uh, Kirsch uh, is like, oh, I fear that Mimosa has been exposed to too much boorish mana. I'll free you from those filthy people. Repent of your filthy selves within my beautiful spell. He sends this whole huge storm of cherry blossoms with illusions of himself dancing through them. Uh, so... Ass is like, all right, I'll take care of this. And he summons his pseudo-demon form, dashes forward, uh, a circular uh, slashy pattern appearing around himself as he storms through the cherry blossoms, uh, slashing through them in a black hurricane attack. And Xerxes is like, ah, oh, he's getting rid of the cherry blossoms, but not just that, my traps just got taken out too. So, yeah. He does that good little attack. Uh, Mimosa is really impressed. A number of the other competitors are as well. But Xerxes is just like, what the hell did you just do? 
And, uh, Asa says, oh, I think that, that, that I just heard the real you for the first time. So let's do this. Let's fight this battle together. And so as a result of this, he has just managed to piss off both Zerks and Kirsch in one fell swoop. Uh, the fight has just kicked off between them. Um, I do like that we're getting some advancement of the relationship between Zerks and Asta. Before it was just Zerks being all, whatever, you punk kid, I don't give a shit. Now he's got a reason that there is tension going both ways between them. So hmm. that's good. Yeah, no, it's, it's, we, we were building up to that. I, I'm still in that case of just like, are we getting that shocker yet of, hey, boom. This fucking arc is a finishing dickheads tournament arc in a shonen manga. Something's gonna intervene or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but by and large, I think it's still just like kind of cool. It's a it was it was a nice little chapter, but it's definitely just like oh, we're just kind of moving between these two and setting things up for the actiony stuff that's gonna happen in the next two or three. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, Let's uh, finish things up with One Piece, Chapter 876. Pudding coincidentally appears! A bizarre, t- bizarre choice of adverb there. Coincidentally, Pudding appears. It's not really a coincidence that she's trying to appear the whole time, isn't it? Whatever. <laughs> Last time, Nami called down a super lightning attack, which uh, seemingly took out Big Mom. We start things off here with uh, Jinbei uh, saying, like, no, no. She's still moving. She's, and they, there's a huge crater that was opened up by the lightning strike. And she's not climbing out because they don't see her. They just kind of hear her ca- calling. And Luffy's like, huh, Luffy, is the hole just so deep that she can't climb out? And Jimmy's like, no, no, she's still moving. She can't be stopped. And we just kind of kept below and see that she's just walking through the ground. It's like, oh, that's well, Darwin. <laughs> Sick. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> So she's just kind of opening the crater up as it collapses around her and she storms forward. The entire earth is rippling and collapsing around her as she continues to storm forward like a land shark. Like a bullet. Oh, or a street shark. Yeah. Yes. I'm not sure which of those is dorkier, but yes. (laughs) They're both equally dorky and precious to me. That's all that matters. Jawsome. So everyone has to run away from Land Shark Bullet Street which, Shark. Which Street mind. Shark do you think you would be? I always gravitate towards uh, Slash, the Tiger Shark one. Is he the purple and blue one? Yes, and he had the rollerblades. I thought they all had rollerblades, didn't they? He was the one who roared them all the time, though. Oh, uh, hmm. I wish they all had them. There was um Rip, who was the Great White, the leader. There was Jab, the Hammerhead, and Big Slamu was the Whale Shark. I'm stunned you remember these. I can remember nothing about Street Sharks other than it existed, and I owned one of the toys at one point. And their villain was Dr. Piranus, I think? And wow, they, bravo. They called him Dr. Piranoid. Like they did as an insult? Yeah. That's that's pretty weak sauce insult, not gonna lie. I don't remember any any other names though. I just remember that they occasionally teamed up with an they they had an orca guy and there was a rock a rock shark guy. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um 
So everyone's running away. Uh, Pudding and Chiffon show up on the magic carpet and, uh, they're, uh, they, you know, they're like, oh, you know, Straw Hat crew and, and, uh, Pudding says, I don't want to fight. Listen to me. And Sanji's immediately like, oh, my darling, you're, you're safe. Oh, I'm so glad that you weren't hurt. And Pudding starts to foam at the mouth and she's got heart struck eyes. I like that she's got three heart struck eyes. Nice little, nice little thing. Um, and Chivon's like, hey, quick, Pudding, you know, tell them what's going on. We're quick. Let's, let's get, let's do this. And immediately Pudding is just like, look at you. You're never going to survive. Don't even bother trying to escape. Mama will chase you until she sinks you to the depths. <laughs> and it was like, oh, she's evil. And Chivon's like, Pudding, what are you doing? Oh, right. Uh, no, what's wrong with me? Uh, so this is a weird reveal, honestly. <laughs> Well, I guess that's the idea, is that they're, they're trying to say she's kind of both. She's still, like, the evil character, and she also is the person whose entire, like, moral center was uh, shifted and changed as a result of uh, uh, Sanji's actions. So she's she's kind of, like, twice. Like, it's just, like, almost two things in her, and they uh-huh. are directly Honestly, out of, out of all the various different possible uh, conclusions from the stuff that we saw... I'm pretty okay with this one, um, because for, for a couple of, of reasons. One, even if she is allied with the Straw Hats, she's never gonna be mistaken for any other female character if she acts this way. Like just randomly breaking out into super shadow-faced evil maniacal laughter, uh, despite the fact that she's, you know, actually trying to be helpful and nice. Um, and the other is that, you know, it's, it's, it's something that's different. People have kind of made the joke is like, she's like the ultimate Sundere. And that is kind of what's going on. I've never really s- seen anyone do it this way exactly though. It's, it's very weird. Yeah. It's someone who's like, it's almost like a schizophrenia thing, like just two different yeah. sides of them at war. It's also a nice, uh, you know, way of kind of playing with all the stuff that we've known about her. Uh, you know, she puts on a big act for everyone, but now she's kind of unwillingly, uh, going back and forth between these pers- personalities that she would normally switch between willingly. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but they play out that a bit, you know, where she's like, ha mama's going to slaughter you. And she feels like, that, that's not what you came to say here. It's like, oh, sorry. Oh, oh my God. It's so embarrassing. He's like, oh, kill you all. I hate you. I'll feast on your blood. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I didn't mean to say that. I won't feast on your blood. I promise. Ah, uh, but it'd be so delicious. <laughs> she says, um, she kind of explains her, her, herself. Uh, and Chiffon has to basically take over the explanation because she's not getting to the point. She keeps on, you know, going off into evil territory. Um, and Chiffon's like, listen, Pudding said you were good at cooking sweets. And Sonny's like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm first class at cooking anything. He's, and he's so humble too. No wonder Pudding fell for him. Yeah. Well, come on. Uh, and Chiffon says, all right, then you should help us bake a cake so that we can stop mama's hunger pains. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, this will be my repayment of debt to you for helping out Lola. Uh, even if it means I have to risk my life to do it. And Pudding's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not doing this for you. It's just coincidence. Yeah. That the cake I want to bake and eat is the same cake that mom wants. It's coincidence that I was wandering along and having to cross you people. And it's not that I came to stop mom because I, I really didn't want you to die. Dear. 
<laughs> Big Grandpa Sanji says, like, yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, cool. But- I mean, she's... <laughs> it does seem to actually kind of be the case, because he seems to be the one who's kind of, like, most accepting of what the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. Among all the straw hats, are just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> Very confused. So, uh, Sanji's like, okay, then I'll go with you. And, and immediately Pung's like, who said I was going to give you a ride, dummy? It's lines like that that I definitely see the point where people are like, oh, she's all Cinder right now. Mm. But, uh, Mama is, of course, still pissed off. She's swinging her sword, which is even sending out shock waves again. Nearly takes down uh, the carpet. Rabian, that was his name. And uh, but Sanji does get aboard the carpet. And they head off towards the coast. Uh, Pudding also helps out with the trees that are still trying to get them by using her memory ability to cast flashback. Uh, and seemingly, all of the people whose souls were put into the forest are now experiencing their memories of their original owners. They're like, oh, oh, I'm going to go walk the dog. i got to go shopping. My son's gone missing! <laughs> oh, God! It's like, uh, one dude there had, like, a really big deal going on. The other dude's yeah. like, oh, man, i got to get groceries today. <laughs> one dude's like, my family! Um, let's see here. Let's see. As they fly off to the coast, they spot Brook and Chopper down by the ship. Uh, they succeeded in taking out a whole bunch of mooks uh, who were attacking them. But uh, they're in a bit of a bind because, as Chopper points out, their enemies just keep on coming out of the mirror. And uh, they, it's so they're also they're, and Chopper's like, uh, you know, it's, they're coming through the mirror in Nami and Robin's room. So do you think that they'd be mad if we broke it? And <laughs> It's a nice, it's a nice little detail. It's like, yeah, obviously they come through any mirror. Hmm. Uh, Ferrer, I forget his name, whatever. Um, is is mocking them, saying like, ah, oh, no one's gonna be coming back here, and still kind of crazy. He's like, I'm not going to explain what I'm predicting with my power. I'm just going to keep it to myself. Uh. Not a whole lot really happens, honestly, for the rest of the chapter. We just kind of see, like, shots of the different straw hats and other characters involved running around, uh, seeing things that that are happening, and it all concludes with Sanju saying, all right, well, you know, let's whip up a cake so good that it'll knock Big Mom's lights out, and that's the end of the chapter uh, as we move on towards the next phase of this whole thing. Yeah, uh, the one thing I'll just very quickly note is I do like the notion that Sanji's cooking skills are actually going to be significant to the end of this arc. I think that's a nice touch. You know, I, mm-hmm. love, I, I love Sanji, but I think it's really cool for him to have, like, this moment to be like, oh, yeah, and he's a sh- really good chef, and that's actually what's more important to him than anything else, kind of, you know, that he does. Also, that uh, it would be kind of fitting that the thing that he had a passion for as a child... Um, when, you know, he was being tortured, essentially, by his father, was going to be the thing that uh, helps him get out of this big arc that heavily involved his family. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's the end of things. Uh, I think that we're going to call it there. Uh, so uh, definitely a short uh, edition of the podcast this week. Sorry, guys, we had some very tremendous technical difficulties getting this episode started. And uh, 
even when we finally manage to, it's not quite the same as uh, we usually set up as we usually have. But what's important is that we got it done, managed to uh, do things without actually having any delay. So thank you everybody for joining us. We record the show normally uh, when you know all of our programs and stuff are cooperating with us on Wednesdays at approximately 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We live stream the recordings on twitch.tv slash reload and hitbox.tv slash reload But sometimes we need to stay, change things up. So to stay updated, you can follow us on Twitter. He is at reload and I'm at wireruler of time. And you can follow the official podcast account at WMR Podcast. Yes. Also be sure to check, also be sure to check out our past episodes on weeklymicrecap.podbean.com as well as on iTunes and YouTube. Uh, shoot us a subscription, comment and rating on those. Uh, and, uh, that really help us out, help us beat the woodworkers and become king of the hobby section. Oh, that'd be like, like the best, right? Yeah, we get crowns and thrones and everything. It's, it's, oh. it's a sweet deal. I haven't had a crown since I went to Burger King. <laughs> if you want to send us feedback, ask us questions for the Q&A episodes, or suggest future manga for us to read, you can send all that stuff via email to weeklymangarecap at yahoo.com. If you have a horror manga idea for us to read, keep in mind that Halloween Horror uh, Month is uh, going to only just be about a month away uh, when we're going to need to be taking suggestions for that. So uh, now's the time to start thinking about that. Yes, and if you have any horror mangas, uh, you can send those just directly my way, and I will read those all the time. Mm. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. Your support allows us to create all sorts of bonus content for you guys to enjoy. And uh, special thanks in particular to Dr. Goldman for becoming a new patron. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Uh, do we do our uh, MVPs? Uh, Right, well, let me do, let me go through the spiel, and then we'll do that, I guess. Uh, also, finally, a special thanks to Steve Manor, talk artist. You can check out his work in a number of different places, neurotcfanboy.dvnr.com, idropboobs.tumblr.com, he's got his own Patreon, and, as well as the infamous planet for the extra help that you do for us. Absolutely. Yes, let's do our favorites for the week. Uh, looking at our audience poll for this week, it seems as though uh, the... Winner. Eh. Eh. Nah. I can't access it. Oh. <laughs> can't see the results. Uh, let me see if I can get in there real quick. Everything else has been working for me. Maybe this will maybe this will be Why the one. Why would thing. it? Why would it ever? Uh let's see here. I'll just put for the chapter I was gonna do anyway. Uh My Hero Academy won actually, with uh thirty seven percent of the vote. Hmm. Uh, uh, my favorite for this week. Good. No, I was going to say, Dr. Stone was uh, close behind. Mm. Well, my favorite for this week was uh, Seven Deadly Sins. I thought that the two-chapter fight was really awesome, mm-hmm. and uh, that's really all I have to say about it. Yeah, no, I completely agree on that. Seven Deadly Sins was a chapter for me, especially after, you know, it, just having that kind of excitement to it, feeling that cool Escanar got to show off. Uh, and Escanar is my character of the week as well, so mm-hmm. super cool. Uh. F- I think about it a little bit. Mm. I'm going to give it to Pudding uh, for my favorite character. I, I like this the twist that she uh, had it this week. I uh, thought that she was immensely entertaining with uh, the back and forth uh, that she had. And uh, I'm just kind of happy with the way that this turned out because it could have been so much worse as, as we have been talking about for approximately the last month or so. 
But yeah. uh, that is going to do it for us this week. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you so much for your patience as we were trying to get all of the problems of the podcast fixed. Hopefully things are going to be better. Uh, we'll try and work on them in the future. And uh, that's going to do it for now. So we're going to sign off now. Yes, that's going to be it. I have nothing wacky to say. I have been contemplating different ways to destroy the world today in this last couple hours. That is that is where my, my anger goes. Good night, everybody.